Yeah, fair <laughs> enough. Although, like, it would be so much fun, like, uh, Jacksonville beat up on Pittsburgh again. And they, and, and, and they, and they do it specifically, like, no one picks me off six times. Okay, maybe nobody picks me off seven times. <laughs> so, hello, welcome to All Four Quarters, your one-stop shop for news, views, and overreactions to all things NFL. Uh, we've just seen the best team in the playoffs get knocked out, so I'm not all that happy. But we've got news, we've got game reviews, and we've got questions, and we've got previews. So I suppose we'll fucking keep going with it. So, right, we got Connor here, we got Harry. Yeah. And we've got Ronan. Hello. Ah, dialed in from Cork, back in the land of the living. Fun times. Yeah. Well, welcome back, Connor. Yeah, I'm. Off. I'm also back from the from the from the shticks from the the, the wild rural parts of Ireland. Uh, any crack with yourselves, lads? Any fun over the last week? Not much. Not much. Met up with uh, our mutual friend Morris, who's back from uh, the Hague. Mm-hmm. Uh, just got lunch with him there. He's going back to the Hague. Yeah, uh, well, point. he was he was found guilty of all those war crimes. <laughs> <and> <laughs> Yeah, well, uh, not quite, no, no. Sadly, sadly not, um, but yeah, he, he'll be heading back probably to do some more war crimes things, he lives a very exciting life, uh, mm-hmm. dealing with war criminals and the crimes that they commit. Yeah, very so, good. So, yeah, I, I don't know how he, I mean, obviously the listeners don't know Morris, but for those of us who do, we're like, how? <laughs> <laughs> very good. Uh, what about yourself, Ron? How's all down in Cork? Uh, Grant... It's been tough since the last pod I got back to work and I forgot that getting up at half seven sucks so much. <laughs> mm. That's not even that early, to be honest. Yeah, that's no, uh, not great. Yeah, I'm similar. I'm kind of, I've only started back work this week, so uh, getting used to the routine again. Uh, I fucked my ankle over on the weekend going out for a run as well, so now I'm trying to get my ankle back into one piece. It turns out uh, my shoes were really old and had no support in them whatsoever, so uh, I couldn't walk for about two days, which was uh, fun. How did you find editing the uh, podcast without you present on it? Oh, it was grand, to be honest. Uh, I didn't really edit it. Oh. Uh, I just I just slapped a beginning and an end on it and left all the terrible stuff in the middle. That's unfortunate. <laughs> you know, we had like, I don't know what happened, and it wasn't from Facebook, but we had like 35 listens from fucking Indonesia on the last one. Oh, uh, welcome to our new <laughs> Indonesian uh, listeners. Yeah, uh, we kind of get into that ball action. Yes, we are. Uh, the rest of the uh, podcast will be in binary. One zero zero one. Good one. Yeah. Uh, ah, good one. I like it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I said that not to it. I obviously pissed off, and we will be discussing the things that pissed me off on the weekend, so that's fine. Facing down a, another assignment for work, so this is going to be the last bit of sunlight I see for probably about a week. I have to um, say, I had the pleasure of watching that game with Connor, and you were very composed throughout, but I imagine that once I left, like there were plates being flung oh, around yeah. the kitchen and chairs the, being the, the problem is that I had that grim sense of inevitability, and I'm sure we'll discuss it during the game. But it's just like the lads, I've been here. I've been here with a bigger margin and watch us shit this away. And then it's like I said it to you before the game. I said it's going to come down to do they use cream hunt in the second half, and they fucking didn't. Ah, it's just yeah, fuck it. We'll discuss it later on. We've got plenty of stuff to move on to because we've got plenty of news from around the league. So we'll hop straight into some of the coaching changes. Uh, Chicago have decided they weren't put off by the second half performance of the Chiefs, and they've hired Matt Nagy, the offensive coordinator, to be their head coach. Apparently, there was big interest from Indianapolis in getting him as well, but question marks over both uh, Andrew. 
Luck's health and the overall roster composition led Nagy to favour the Bears job. He also apparently has quite a lot of interest in their young quarterback as well. And uh, he was discussing the notes he had from when he interviewed him with the Chiefs last year. Um, this is an interesting signing. I think there was a lot of buzz around the league about Nagy getting a job. So we're not all that surprised. Some talking heads said after the performance that he wouldn't get one. And then there was a bit of confusion where Andy Reid said he called the bad plays, not the good plays. And then Nagy has since came out and said, actually, he called all the plays and he puts his hands up and says he fucked up, but he'll learn from it. So what do we think, guys? Is this a good signing for Chicago or is this a take a shot on a young coach having seen what happened in Los Angeles? Yeah, like it's hard not to see this and think, well, here's another trend. People bring in Kyle Shannon last year. They brought in Sean McVay and the Rams. And I suppose in the Rams case in particular, you see you have a guy who has the potential to reinvigorate your team, bring some youth and, you know, kind of hoo-ha to the team, but also a kind of coach who's considered to be someone who was grooming an heir apparent in in Kansas City in Patrick Mahomes. And the progress there is obviously very much up in the air right now, but general indications are it's good. I think, I know, Connor, you're probably very excited for next season. Mm. Uh, Maybe too soon for that, but I'm sure. Oh, no, it's right. I'm, I'm already kind of moved on to that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm full um, Bill Belichicking this result. <laughs> but I think you know the major thing for Nagy is he comes from that Andy Reid coaching tree, and you see Doug Pederson, you see some other guys out there. Generally, Andy Reid does a good job of getting his guys up to speed and making them okay. And even though some of them don't necessarily have the amount of responsibilities when they're with the team uh, as other teams would give them, with Andy Reid obviously calling plays until. Uh, midpoint of this season they still seem to do okay despite that so I think for Chicago it's both an exciting and a fairly solid one coming from a solid coaching tree but someone who has the upside to take this Mitchell Trubisky project and perhaps turn it into something big because we all saw Mitchell Trubisky very very raw so they need to get someone in there who can kind of coach him up and get him there and Nagy might be or Nagy might be the right guy but uh, we'll see it's kind of he's, he's we haven't really seen enough of what he's done to have any idea of what it's going to be like. So, bet on the unknown, bet on the excitement, bet on the youth. Yeah. That seems to be the new way of picking coaches. I think, I think I think the only thing we know for certain is that Jordan Howard is not going to get fed next year. Uh, next up is Oakland. Uh, they have made an interesting move that we kind of knew had been in the works for six or seven years at this point. Uh, John Gruden is coming back head coach after 10 years in the booth. He's got a 10-year, uh, $100 million contract being given to him, uh, which is... A huge amount of money. He also had his he had his uh, press conference yesterday about accepting the role, and apparently there is not a ownership stake included in this. Although there might be one being arranged separately. This is a, a coach who they obviously have has history with the franchise. They've been pursuing him for a number of years, but there is a question, especially with someone who's been out of the game this long, whether or not he might be coming back into a game that might have passed him by or not. This is an interesting move given that they'd had some success with Jack Del Rio, even though he kind of fell apart a little bit last year, didn't get the results he wanted, and their defence has been regressing, even though he's known as a defensive coach. So do we think this is just a splashy move, or do we think this is something that could actually build for this Oakland team? It's impossible to know, like you said, with how long he's been away from the game. Like, obviously, he still has a, a football mind, or whatever you want to call it. We know he's on the quarterback camps, and obviously his analysis is by the standards of TV analysts, reasonably sound but it is an awful long long time you're going back and you always have this risk with somebody like that of has the game passed them by are there things that they think should be done a certain way and certain concepts they believe in that, that haven't been relevant for the last few seasons it's a big risk particularly with the amount of money they're paying mm-hmm. and with the amount of hype they're bringing around this this is very much this is like a we have the roster we believe this guy will the coaching is a problem this will save the franchise this will 
turnaround from disappointment that they had this season into success. That's an awful lot of weight to put on somebody. If this doesn't work out immediately, this is a big problem, particularly with the team moving, particularly with all the upheaval that's going to come alongside that through Oakland. Like it, It's a gamble. It's a, it's a real gamble. And if it pays off, they look like geniuses. Mm-hmm. They look like the ones who finally lured Gruden out of the booth, finally were like, look, we know this guy's still got it. Let's just prove it. It's your it's your fucking Hollywood story, mm-hmm. isn't it? You know, I'm retired. Like, leave me alone. <laughs> but if they don't, it looks desperate. It looks like a throwback to a time at... From, from, from the franchise's past when things were better but a long time has passed since then yeah. now I've I heard that the, the OC and DC that's going to come with them right um, so you've got Greg Olson as the OC and Paul Gunther as the DC uh, Gunther I think is from the Bengals yeah. uh, so has been in charge of certainly that's, that's been a, a, a hard hitting defence which is, is what they want to see in Oakland so that's a good move the Greg Olson move is weird this was a guy we last saw as a OC getting fired by the Jags for sucking. He was with Oakland for two seasons. Um, they combined for seven wins over those two seasons. Yeah. They only scored thirty points more in one game, more than thirty points in one game, where they also led in fifty six against Kansas City. Olsen has rebuilt himself a bit, with, you know, the, the QB coach in LA. You know, Jared Goff's looking good. It's a weird move, and I, I don't know where that came from because this was, I would have thought Olsen would have been certainly more than well, a, think, a year away from coming John back to the position. John Gruden has said that he's going to be doing play calling and he's going to be taking over a lot of that. So I imagine this is a, a set of hands that he thinks he can have, do what he wants on the ground, but he will control the day to day. He's looking at it as more of an Andy Reid to offensive coordinator kind of relationship rather than necessarily giving the reins of the offense to Greg Olsen, from, from what I'm hearing in the press conferences anyway. Yeah, I think it's reasonable. I just think somebody who's just not been very good at it. Yeah. It, 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 maybe it'll work. I don't know. It just seems uh, odd. I'm going to miss QB camp, to be honest. That was good yeah. off season content. Now gone, stripped away. What will we do during the summer months now? Yeah, I don't what know. What will we do? <laughs> oh, then you're you... fine. You already have your quarterback in the future, so it's... That's true, yeah, yeah. I can just go and rewatch his quarterback camp with Pat Mahomes. He loved Pat Mahomes in that quarterback camp, which is uh, great. Uh, other news, Tennessee, Mike Malarkey has been officially announced that he is uh, keeping his job after the wildcard victory over the Kansas City Chiefs. Definition of a Pyrrhic victory, right, Ronan? Yeah, like... <laughs> Malarkey this season has been underwhelming, obviously a run guru, uh, but the only really time the run game has looked dominant is in the fourth quarter against the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, <laughs> yep. I, se- I sent you guys the images of like the defensive alignments we had. We know why that happened. No, like it, it kind of felt like, you know, like the tension between him and the ownership was quite high coming into the game. I don't think that's being resolved in any way by the fact that he's kept his job. So you have tension there between the owner and the players. You don't really have a, a feeling that the players are that attached to Malarkey. So he lives for another year. The talent is good enough in Tennessee. Maybe they make the playoffs again next year uh, if they get lucky again. But like it, it's hard not to. It's not very hard to imagine that next year with Houston getting Deshaun Watson and that defense back. Uh, with Jacksonville still likely to pick up a quarterback, that they're going to be near the bottom fighting with Indianapolis. The, let's just, the, let's just, let's just say that win doesn't make me suddenly believe in exotic Smash Mouth uh, yeah. in the slightest. Uh, we've also obviously there's rumors flying around about a lot of other people who are interested in. So Steve Wilkes, Matt Patricia, Josh Daniels, John DiFilippo, a few of those guys. We're obviously waiting on some of them to finish up playoff runs before they're really kind of going anywhere. But uh, I'd imagine by next week we'll probably have some more news on that from for you. We had a couple of GM changes. Uh, Green Bay have oh I love this name promoted uh, Brian Gutenkunst. <laughs> <laughs> well, you just you just put just put an N in there, didn't you? Gutenkunst. 
That's definitely no. It's not. It's not. I'm, I'm annoyed because there was a there was a there was a contender for this whose surname was Kunst, and I was like, I, I just love the idea of having so many people having to try and get that one said during the during during the amount of games that they're gonna have them in. So Brian Gunkist, uh, from director of player personnel to GM, he's been given a five year contract. He's came out immediately and said that he's going to be looking to do stuff in free agency. So uh, a bit of a change in approach and one that was probably badly needed in Green Bay, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we saw this season that building that team in the way they've been building it, once you take away Aaron Rodgers, it's not only not a very good team, it's actually not a good team in the slightest, probably a bad team. Mm. It's it's a change that, that's needed to come realistically under Ted Thompson. I think uh, when they brought in Julius Peppers for a year, it was already the only time they slashed in free agency. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, again, internal candidate was what we suspect, although we do know, or well, we have heard anyway, the Green Bay were sniffing around various other teams' officials. And we're essentially told to go do one. And a lot of people were very, I think, cautious about the structure of who reports into who. Mm-hmm. Like, does if McCarthy doesn't report into the GM, he reports into the owner, and so on. So, bringing in somebody within the structure is kind of inevitable when the structure is so idiosyncratic. And there GB. were some discussions about other people within the structure that would not be quite as happy keeping McCarthy on as the head coach, mm-hmm. and that that was a deciding factor. They had to decide whether they wanted to clear house entirely or not. You know yeah, what makes great even, GMs? Even the external year. candidates they went for were generally people from the Green Bay tree, John Schneider, Reg, Reggie McKenzie. So even though they were external candidates, it was more, well, these guys are from our tree. Yeah, and bring, well, bring them back home. Back to the mothership. Yeah, no, of course. Uh, outside of that, Cleveland hired Elliot Wolf from Green Bay to join John Dorsey in their front office. Uh, he'll going to act as assistant GM, but let's be honest, like John Dorsey's running that show. This is uh, probably trade him up, maybe have him move into another position, maybe look at more of their scouting. So there's a lot of talk that Dorsey is a very good scout and not as good on the uh, contract side. So maybe this might be what Wolf is being brought in for. Uh, but yeah, we'll, we'll see how that continues on. It's uh, it's interesting. It just shows how powerful Sashi was that you need to have two people to do the job of one Sashi. Uh, <laughs> we, had, we had some, some coordinator changes as well. Green Bay hired Joe Philbin because they decided they needed a computer salesman to run their <laughs> offense. And uh, Mike Pettin is defense coordinator is this a good bad or push move this is hilarious like what a throwback like Philbin and Pet. like that's mad to me um, but like we know Petting was, was before obviously fucked up in Cleveland as a head coach was reasonably successful DC Philbin had again reasonable cash as an OC before he fucked up in Miami mm-hmm. as a head coach it's not the most adventurous pair of hires in the world it no. does feel a bit like a retread so I'm cautious again I don't see how these guys like standing up to McCarthy or revolutionising the structure it, it feels like a holding pattern and it feels like Green Bay are for all of their changes I'm, I just, mm-hmm. I'm not sure how substantial they're going to be yeah and the other thing I noticed is that neither of these strikes use a name that will be there and would become if they had a good season or so an heir apparent or a challenge to the head coach role which I think might be something they were interested like in Joe, Joe Philbin and or Mike Pettin yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Aaron Rodgers that would be but in opposite ways, it's kind of funny. Like you have, uh, the boring, charismaless Philbin and the too charisma, hothead, <laughs> idiot Petten. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it's just yeah. I'm, 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 I'm not. I'm not loving this move, Green Bay. Not loving this at all. Uh, Cincinnati hired uh, Detroit DC Terrell Austin as their new defensive coordinator. Good move, bad move, push. Uh, it's all right. I think Terrell Austin he did a good job at that secondary in Detroit. 
some say like that up front they were a bit weak but you could say that the talent wasn't really there I think generally Cincinnati is a good place to go you're given a lot of free, you're given a lot of leeway to do your thing under Marvin Lewis so mm-hmm. I think it's a good move for Terrell Austin and it's a push on whether Cincinnati would be better or not their defense is pretty good I don't expect it to get much worse under Austin but can he take it next level that's a completely separate question yeah. I wouldn't be optimistic about that kind of change Fair enough. Uh, Kansas City have promoted uh, Eric uh, Bianami, uh as to being their offensive coordinator. He was a running backs coordinator beforehand. Uh, assistant head coach Brad Childress is also set to retire. Um, this is an interesting one. Bianami is well regarded within the organization. He comes from a running back background, so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out given Andy Reid's normal approach and how Andy Reid might interact with him given that he gave up play calling halfway through the season. But overall, this doesn't seem like a huge move. While he's not known to be kind of a yes man or or one to maybe not disagree with 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 reed this doesn't feel like someone who might because he's young enough in the organization doesn't have an experience it might be someone who reed can exert control over so we'll see how that goes as developed he's done good with the running backs over the last four or five years so we'll see how he does uh on to your boys fits uh bevel's been fired as offensive coordinator uh chris richards is expected to to be let go or move on and uh word on the street is Tom Cable is going to take over as offensive and defensive coordinator for the Kansas or for for the for the Seahawks, and uh, we're going to trade you uh, our defensive coordinator, and he's going to take over as head coach. Uh, well, in Seattle, great things can happen. Conspiracies <laughs> abound. Uh, we know conspiracies abound in Seattle. Mm. Uh, Bevel is not unexpected, considering that like Pete Carroll is like run game, run game, run game, and Seattle's run game this year. Non-existent. Exist. Uh, I can expect that he's kind of like the play calls. That's your issue. Now, some people blame Tom Cable. Some people think Tom Cable was the guy making second half adjustments. Tom Cable is like mysterious, like force that the Seattle fan base can find infinite time to discuss. I think Richard's a bit more of a surprise. The defense probably did underperform, but there were sufficient injuries that it probably wasn't his fault. But maybe I think this is a situation where they're like the scheme that they've had so much success for over might be found out at this point and they need to bring someone from outside the organization to mix things up and see if they can do something to kind of like not make them so predictable on defense so far because the talent is there you can expect it the talent if the talent is good enough they can adapt to a new scheme or to an adapted scheme anyway change in seattle it's unusual p carroll doesn't usually fire people so mm-hmm. we interested to see where this goes for the rest of the offseason but uh i'm sure we'll hear a lot more when those hirings actually start coming in yeah i think this is uh, his first fun. his first proper firing since 2010 wasn't it uh he's kind of he's always held on to guys until they've got other jobs so this is interesting uh carolina have moved on from offensive coordinator mike shula uh norv turner has been hired i find this interesting we'll mention it when we're talking about the game but uh like i thought this was the playoff game is probably one of the best performances from the Carolina offense we've seen. I would say that it's probably something that sits at the feet of the player personnel and the, and the GM rather than necessarily the scheme, as like they just don't have the players out there to do a huge amount else. Um, I'm a bit surprised by this, but do we think North Turner is going to fit in well here? Well, Turner's done a fantastic job, uh, particularly reversing his own career in, in Minnesota hmm. after obviously the run in LA and then the brief forgettable stint in Cleveland as OC. Um, so I, I think it's like, look, what he's been able to do as OC in Minnesota with um, like limited, let's be honest, quarterbacks who aren't world beaters, if you get him into a position with Cam Newton who can do so much that isn't really... I mean, we've seen this season, I don't think it's to do with the playoff game. I think consistently this season the offense has sputtered. Like They have seemed unsure of how to best use Newton in a lot of these situations. 
Uh, they seem unsure of how to best utilize McCaffrey. They seem unsure. They have, well, they have no receivers. Let's be honest. I don't know what that's about. So yeah, like I think look, Turner's a guy who's shown that he can still get it done as OC, even if he can't as head coach. You, you're, you've made the playoffs, but God, you've looked ropey getting there. It's a little bit surprising, but I think Turner is probably going to be one of the stronger hires. Or anyway, based on the sample of the last few seasons, should be one of the stronger hires at OC, and you can't really knock that. If the Carolina's offense continues to struggle, then I think we'll agree that it's a more structural problem beyond just the play calling and, and defensive coaching. Yeah, no, of course. Um, and Baltimore promote uh, Don Martindale for, to defensive coordinator from their linebackers coach following the retirement of uh, DC. What do we think? Yeah, he's generally considered highly within the organisation that Baltimore generally have a good repeat in this. I'm sure it's the kind of guy who a few years from now will consider one of the better DCs. We'll see if he, he can elevate that uh, defence to being the top unit it sometimes looked like this season mm, no of course uh, we don't have a huge amount in terms of injuries this week New Orleans offensive lineman Andreas Pete uh, uh, broken his fibula so he's gone for the season uh, obviously this is not what they would want at this point in the year they'd like to see continuity on that line this is obviously going to hurt them but we will discuss that in both the game that happened and the preview of the games that are coming up uh, in terms of uh, Player signings, the LA Chargers decide, why the fuck not? They've signed Robert Aguayo because they don't have enough fucking shite in the bed on kickers for the last while. Uh, do we think he makes it to the first game of the new season? No. no. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, we have a few bits on controversy corner. There's obviously some questions we will raise in the game about this Tennessee-Kansas City officiating controversy. Basically, in a nutshell, they allowed someone who is not qualified to fucking referee game ref this game head ref this game because he was retiring he shat the bed and everyone goes oh no what do we do about it no worries he's already retiring anyway Cam Newton was allowed to re-enter the game after collapsing on the field and what should have been put through a concussion protocol especially with the more rigorous concussion protocol uh, rules that have been put in place recently Uh, but he was allowed to go back on the field and they are now using the excuse that he didn't get concussed Someone poked him in the eye, and that's why he fell onto one knee during the game, and that's why it was okay for them to skip it. Do we buy this? No, but even if you don't buy it under the new rules, you're supposed to bring someone into the locker room if you suspect a concussion. And like to come with the evidence that came there, he was on the ground, he looked groggy, he couldn't get off the field without going to a knee. That's sufficient evidence probably to have to do a concussion evaluation in the locker room. Those are the rules. Carolina broke them. Now, those are new rules from the last few weeks, so maybe you could say ignorance, whatever like that. But this is the playoffs. This is the big leagues. Like, you're supposed to have the entire, you know, uh, attention of the league at this point. And they made a fuck up here. Yeah. And we can only hope that, you know, this is the last time we see this kind of stuff. We've seen too much of this stuff already. We cannot see this again. Uh, like you know, that's that's just the way it has to be. Yeah, no, it's just it's just ridiculous, and I, I don't I don't fully buy even I don't buy this like oh I just got poked in the eye thing at all. Like even if that is the case, you still as you said have to go and test and make sure everything's okay. Uh, the other bit of news from the conference corner is uh, Richie Incognito. What do I remember that name for again? Um, he's under. <laughs> He's under investigation for allegedly racially abusing uh, Yannick Ngakwe. I believe it's meant to be an anagram of ginger. Um, So he's now had his own players come out and say that he wouldn't say this. He's not that kind of guy and that they'd be the first ones to call him on it if he was going to do it. Um, he's not that kind of guy. Yeah, uh, we, we we know Richie and know is that kind of guy. Like we saw the text messages he sent to Jonathan Martin. There's video, if you go onto fucking Google, 
You can find a video of Richie Incognito saying the N-word. It's not fucking hard. Yeah. Like... That wasn't me. That was Guy Incognito. Yeah, yeah, like, <laughs> like, it's one of those things where it's like, look, everyone online, well, white people online, are rushing to defend Incognito. Like, oh, you know, he said, she said, oh, we don't have any proof. All of his teammates have said, like, you're saying... It's like, bullshit. This is like... Look at every single thing this man has ever done. Like, we know this is an asshole who has no problem with throwing around racial slurs. We don't even know if he's smart enough to know if it's bad to say the racial slurs. Yeah. Like, I fully believe he did do this. And Ngakwe, like, he, he, you know, mentioned it in passing in a tweet, and then when he was pushed on it, people were like, angling, you know, journalists angling for the like, did he say this word, did he say that word? He just said, oh, you know, I can't remember. Which, again, people seized on, but I think it's probably quite a smart thing because you don't want it to be a discussion about the... Yeah. specific word that was used it's it's more broad about yeah. like wh- why the fuck would anyone think this is okay uh, but that's because Richie Incognito is an asshole and he probably won't be punished for this because it's no way proving it yep oh it's a cheery note uh, on to another cheery note uh, the Browns players did not enjoy the 0-16 parade uh, as you've probably heard in the, the podcast a couple of times there's a running thing the last number of years of uh, the Browns looking for a perfect season parade or rather a specific fan booking a parade uh, license and wanting to hold if they were to go 0-16 as they did hold a parade to celebrate the fact that they are a huge dumpster fire and they have failed the people of Cleveland uh, the previous years, they've managed to win a game. A uh, Christmas gift from the Chargers last year allowed them to avoid this. What that meant was that the money that was raised for the <laughs> for the parade went to charity. Now, rather than the money going to charity, a lot of players are sad that they had their hurl- feelings hurt because these people paraded and wanted to at least have a bit of crack because their team are a hot mess. I'm pro the parade. I think it's good crack. I think it lets them vent a bit because these are people who've paid for season tickets, go to support this team, own the merchandise, and they just keep shitting in their fucking eyes. Like, do we side with the players on this, or do we side with the fans on this? Well, if the players hadn't have lost all their games, <laughs> yeah. then maybe they'd have more of a leg to stand on. Yeah, <laughs> that's pretty much what I think about it. Yeah, players like, went on sixteen. Yeah, I think yeah. the only way when you've got such a huge loss is only the second time it's ever happened in NFL history. You have this. I, I loved actually before we started the podcast. I was looking at a video online. I was just saying to Harry, like, it was just a. There's just a lonely fan in, in in the parade holding up a sign saying, "Well, they tried." <laughs> it's phenomenal. Uh, also unbeaten in the preseason, which uh, teams is just a really bad idea to do because I believe the Lions did that the year that they went on sixteen two. The other bit of news that's been knocking around the league is there was a hit piece put out there by some dirty shady people sending out fake news about Tom Brady and. Bill Belichick and Robert Kraft not being the best friends and how they really hate pretty boy Goat Garoppolo. Uh, what do you have to say? Do you buy any of the stuff that was in this? Well, like the stuff about Alex Guerrero, Brady's quack, shaman, whatever, I don't know. Um, that's all true. Yep. Um, Patriots fans who were paying attention were aware of this beforehand. Um, the article, I think, did expose some of the depth of that to which people weren't aware. But also, like, there was also just a lot of complete bollocks in there but like you know Tom Brady insisted on getting Garoppolo traded and oh just like firstly how do you know that secondly what and oh he made and then of course the Patriot of the Week award that Tom oh, Brady yeah. had never won the reason Tom Brady has never won Patriot of the Week is that the award doesn't fucking exist like it, it was a lot of filling in the gaps a lot of filling in the gaps was done in that article mm-hmm. and there were a lot of gaps to fill and they were very deep gaps so they were filled 
with an awful lot of bullshit. The Patriots fans who are going, none of this is true, this is all nonsense, everything, like, they're wrong as well. There are obviously issues. Uh, Alex Guerrero has been responsible for causing a lot of problems on that team, and Tom Brady's pseudoscience bullshit has been causing a lot of problems. But we know this from when Guerrero was banned from, the, from, was banned from certain team activities. We know from Belichick's statement about him not being an employee of the Patriots. We know that these things were there being dealt with. And um, what we saw in that article is just the whole thing uh, speculated really out of proportion as to what this meant with you know the relationship between the three guys and Jimmy Garoppolo and also like Jimmy Garoppolo was Jimmy Garoppolo was never going to stay in New England like it, it was not possible was if he was going to start <laughs> yeah well okay yeah. okay Jimmy Garoppolo and Tom Brady were not going to stay in New England like we know this the whole premise of the article that there was some vast conspiracy to do this it, I mean it's very tempting to point to vast conspiracies with the Patriots it seems to be a thing mm. but it's not and at the end of the day. Uh, like it, it, there's nothing, there's nothing here that's that we didn't really already know. What if Jimmy Garoppolo is like a Hillary supporter? Maybe that's what's going on. You know, yeah. <laughs> is it a Trump organization for Trump people? Yeah. Not for the likes of Jimmy G, West Coast. You know, he's gone over to liberal California. I think we can get to see what's going on there. Mm. Wouldn't get traded to Cleveland, or you know, there's a whole thing about why Cleveland never got talked to. So you know, maybe maybe it's all to do with Hillary Clinton. So why did why did we bring back Bennett then? To prove you're not racist. Four-dimensional <laughs> 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 chess, man. Yeah. yeah, no, basically, like, there's a few bits in it that are interesting, but it has been blown out Like, I would, I, I would say to anyone out there who is reading the news stories about, is Bill Belichick going to coach the New York Giants? No. No, he's not. Uh, just, just, just give up on all these kind of secondary stories anyway. Uh, with that, we'll move on to looking at some of the games from uh, last week. Okay, so first up we have Tennessee at Kansas City, 22-21. to uh, This is a game where Kansas City were way out ahead, 18 points ahead going into the half, and then managed to shite it away, as they have wanted to do in previous games. Brings to six in a row the uh, losing streak of home playoff games for the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, this was an interesting game. Kansas City got out to a strong lead, looked good in the first half. Uh, there was a number of questions on officiating, which we'll probably discuss in a little bit. But uh, realistically, this is the thing where injuries caused a huge issue to them with Kelsey going out after a brutal hit, but it was a very legal hit, even though it looked horrendous. And Chris Jones getting injured early in the second half. Uh, we didn't see much out of the Tennessee offense until those injuries started happening and they were able to shut it down. And then uh, they just started to establish the run game in the second half. We were able to really enforce their will on Kansas City in that second half and were able to just keep scoring and keep the ball out of the hands of the KC offense. Uh, KC went away entirely away from the run game which caused them problems but this could well be as we said the end of the Alex Smith era in Kansas City. We'll probably discuss that closer to the offseason or during the offseason whenever those rumours are flying around but when we look at this game this is a game that Kansas City shot the bet on Tennessee did a good job in the second half but didn't look like a complete team in. Like I don't think anyone can be happy about either of these teams' chances up in Foxborough next week? Like, if either one was to happen to win this game, no? Well, not based on that game, anyway. Um, certainly maybe Kansas City for the first quarter. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. What a quarter it was. That was a great quarter. I, I, wish, I, wish, I, wish he, I wish he'd scored another touchdown, though, for the memes. Yeah. Yeah, no, it wasn't, it wasn't convincing. Like, there was bizarre coaching calls, like you say, with the run game, and then Reed being like, oh, yeah, it's a shame Kareem Hunt wasn't used more. And it's like, Andy... Mm. You're you're the head coach, Andy. Just just say something. Like, <laughs> you you could have done something about this. You are aware of that, right? And they're like, oh, we're running too many RPOs. It's like, well, if it's not working, stop running fucking RPOs. Then I don't know, like, yeah. So just uh, weird, and obviously the injuries had an effect, but like 
KC seemed to just shut down after a period of time, and Tennessee at no point looked convincing. They slowly worked their way back into it, and then, and we'll discuss momentarily, had some rub of the green, shall we say, <laughs> uh, in their favour, but neither team looked in any way convincing. Both teams looked bad defensively. Uh, apart from that first quarter from Kansas City, neither team looked particularly good offensively. So I was a Patriots fan, like... Whoever had come out of this, it would have been like, yeah, fair. But I still prefer Tennessee. Mm. Yeah, of course. We were saying, it's... yeah, like Tennessee, were, like again, Tennessee basically needed all the luck in the world to win this game. I think KC ultimately were incredibly unlucky uh, via a number of events, both some self-inflicted, some ref-inflicted, some injury-inflicted. Like for me, like KC, what we saw in the first half was more like the KC we've seen over the over the back half of the season or the last month or so so I think Casey would have done something in the next round but I just think like this was one of those weird games where so much other stuff happened that you don't control uh, or mostly don't control that it just currently one of those games where Tennessee managed to tweak it out but Tennessee didn't look good at all even when they were coming back there were still moments that they made dunderheaded decisions. It just doesn't feel like Tennessee are a functioning team, which is what we expected when they came into the playoffs and into this game. So I wouldn't take anything away from KC. I think just they might be a bit over-reliant on, on Kelsey when their backup tight end is Demetrius Harris, and you can't keep possession with Demetrius Harris. Hands of stone. <laughs> Orson Charles for some reason. Yeah, Orson Charles. I didn't even realise he was on our roster. I didn't know he was still in the league. <laughs> and then he got flagged on the first kickoff. It was like, oh, Orson Charles is there. The other thing yeah. that is interesting, though, is a big development for football is that there will no longer be uh, strip sacks. Uh, they are now banned from football because of forward motion. So, unfortunately, <laughs> you need to punch from behind or else no. So, uh Whoever has currently got the record, you're safe. Uh, we'll move on to the next game, Atlanta at uh, the LA Rams. 26-13. I told you this would be close. LA offense was kind of exposed quite a bit, very heavily reliant on Todd Gurley. And while he got some bits going, he just wasn't able to do enough. This was an interesting one because Atlanta's defense, which had been quietly rounding into form for the back kind of four or five weeks of the season, just looked very good. They were able to move side to side, be quick after the ball and just cause a huge amount of hassle for the young uh, for the young quarterback here. There was a number of sloppy moves though as well on the part of the LA Rams. A couple of special teams mistakes, a couple of fumbles. Like, do we put this on... Atlanta just being the more battle-tested, ready-to-go-into-the-fight team versus the rookie mistakes of, a, of, of an LA Rams? Or was it just because they made one or two mistakes and they did seem to get themselves back into a rhythm a little bit later on that they just weren't able to to have the self-control to dig themselves back out of a hole? Yeah, I don't think Atlanta are like 30, like two scores better than the Rams. I think... It, but I think what happened is that Atlanta shut down the heart of that LA Rams offense in Todd Gurley. Me and Harry talked about this last week. I said if Todd Gurley is shut down, and for most of it he was shut down, especially on the screen game where he's been so devastating over the last month or so. And if they did that, they could make this a grindy game, a close game. And in this case, that's what happened. And the LA Rams made the mistakes, especially on a unit which have such high expectations. And if the LA special teams has like three Pro Bowl players right now, not a very Pro Bowl performance <laughs> when it actually matters. And Atlanta, when they got into this grindy situation, when it looked like the LA Rams were coming back, Matt Bryant kind of showed up with some like very clutch kicks, basically, to keep them just out of distance. And that ended up being enough that when the Julio uh, touchdown came in the fourth quarter, that kind of salted the game away. But I don't think 
like if you were to re- rerun this game like twenty, like a hundred times, I don't think you would expect this score that often. I think just Atlanta did enough to turn this into a grindy game and got the rub of the green enough that they're kind of the talent that we know is there is able to do it. And I thought that's where I think is Atlanta's defense. I think as you mentioned, is fast, can get to the runners quick. Their linebackers are very good in particular, and that's perfectly set up to stop Gurley. But you know. Other teams with that scenario have yeah. failed in the past, so well done Atlanta for doing that and making this the kind of game that they could win. No, of course, but like the big one is, and obviously, hello to Steve, obviously Sarkeesian is a listener to the podcast, he took our <laughs> advice, they used Julio Jones, they realised, do you know what, why don't we target this guy in the red zone, why don't we try and get the ball in his hands, you have to make sure you use your playmakers in these types of scenarios, and obviously, Matt Bryant was a playmaker for them as well, yeah. but Julio Jones got fed, and they were able to convert on third downs, able to make things happen in the red zone, because they started to target him, like, this feels more like a team that knows where its strengths are. Like the the degree to which they know what they're good at seems significantly extended from say week eleven, week twelve of the season when we were shouting at them for terrible game plans. Yeah, well, I mean, there was that Tampa Bay game where like Julio Jones had like, two hundred yards. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and that and one game where they're like, oh, this guy exists. To, yeah, they went straight back to not targeting him. So who the fuck knows it was just if they'll stick to that game plan or not. Um, it certainly works. I mean, look, Julio Jones is is probably the best player on that offense. You have to get him involved. It makes it, it only makes sense to. But it's really about you know. Okay, so the, sorry for so long they've been this season's like talking about this run game with Freeman and Coleman. They've both been disappointing again. Neither of them was particularly outstanding um, in in this game either. Although admittedly against quite a, a tough Rams front seven. So what we saw was I think a bit more adaptability. From these guys, though they still ran the ball heavily, well, it wasn't. It wasn't just that they were like, "Well, we're just going to keep doing this until it doesn't work." It was like, "Okay, third down, Julio Jones. What can we do? Can we make this something more effective than, than it has been?" And if you're, you know, going up against that, and this is a team with a fully healthy Julio Jones who is being targeted, it's quite worrying. And they're coming against the Philly team with relatively young corners, a slightly suspect secondary, shall we say? If Atlanta are able to continue pushing the ball and continuing putting Julio in situations where he can win one-on-one, then yeah, that's a very scary team. Do I trust Sarkeesian to continue to do that? Well, based on a sample size of this season, I don't know if I do, but we'll discuss that in the preview. Yeah, sure, we'll see how that goes. Yeah, and just a shout-out to Aaron Donald. He's going to get paid a lot of money. Oh, yeah. Was it 10 10 QB pressures in the first half or something? (laughs) He was just everywhere. So it's not on him. Uh, this loss by <laughs> no not at all uh, on to the to the best game of the weekend uh, Buffalo uh, and Jacksonville uh, this is probably the worst playoff game of all time like it yes. was terrible it was defensive kind of like it was defensive but I don't know if it was good defense or not because both offenses were shite it was won by a team whose quarterback had more rushing yards than he had passing yards which is a record I believe I also believe that he was two passes away from actually having historically low figures because to hit the record books he has to have had 25 attempts and only had 23 Um, but (laughs) just because he's such a stud running back he just kept going to the ground Um, when will white quarterbacks learn to win with their arm that is that is it they just they just this they grow up being these superstar track athletes and they just never progress uh, <laughs> um yeah like this this game was all like this game was Jacksonville defense and what they can do this is showing the kind of mentality they have of they reckon that as long as their offense can put up three or seven points that's all that needs to happen they can shut people down outside of that like while this is a brutal game 
I do look at this team and go like, if it can win a dirty game like this, and we've seen them win high scoring affairs, we've seen them dominate other teams. Like winning a bad game is sometimes winning a bad game or winning a shitty game is sometimes a very important thing for a team to be able to do in these kind of scenarios, right? Yeah, like I think Jacksonville got it done eventually. Blake Bortles got it done eventually, but there's no getting away from the fact that. When we looked at the playoff picture in the AFC, which wasn't that strong to begin with, the Bills were like way down at the bottom. Like there was a massive gap between even the Bills and Tennessee in terms of how likely we think they would be able to do anything. And in this game, they managed to shut down Blake Bortles because Blake Bortles missed multiple open passes, screen passes, like the passes that are not even like that dirty screen passes in terms of getting like disrupted. It's just like Blake Bortles seems to have regressed to what we expect. And with that kind of quarterback play, the Jacksonville Jaguars aren't going anywhere. I don't care if this defense was like an all-time defense. I just don't think this defense is good enough to like, you know, Rex Grossman or Trent Dilfer, Blake Bortles to a Super Bowl. And I think, you know, that like in the playoffs with the two NF, with the two AFC superpowers that they have to go through, there's not a chance they're going to the Super Bowl, in my opinion, uh, with that offense with Blake Bortles. He's just shit. Stop trying to make Blake Bortles happen. And if he goes to the Super Bowl and Jacksonville like re-sign him, that will be the ultimate pirate pyrrhic victory. It would of be all yeah. time. <laughs> now I will say, Harry, surely this means that like there are thousands and thousands of tables just sighing relief at the fact that the Bills are now out of the playoffs. Um, they've got to feel good about making it here, but this is a weird one because like, obviously they didn't play well in this game. They ended up having Nate Peterman coming in at the end. He's obviously not a solution. Uh, although, as we did see, uh, Nate Peterman did throw the uh, game-seeing pass in the sun, uh, which is great. But, yeah, I don't know. It's... It's a weird spot for them. They make the playoffs. They look terrible. We never rated them in the playoffs anyway. They ran it close with this Jacksonville team, but I think that was like not exactly a glowing reference for either team. Like, do you think that they have to blow it up, or is this is there something salvageable in this core? Uh, well, look, their defense is still okay. O line is okay, although it could do with being a bit less racist. Mm-hmm. Um, this team has. No wide receivers, which we already knew. If Tyra Taylor plays like that, he's not the long-term solution at quarterback. He's had games where he looked a lot better than that, but that was atrocious. And mm-hmm. the problem is that you can't have, if you want to be a playoff team, you can't have a quarterback who you have a risk of doing that in a playoff game. Mm-hmm. Um, Peterman, as, yeah, is absolutely not the answer. So I don't know if it's like a total rebuild for Buffalo, but like there's some glaring issues that need to be fixed, specifically that they don't have a passing game. Do you think Tyra comes back? I don't know. Uh, not after this. I think he. This look. We we know that the management and Tyrod Taylor do not have the best of relationships. I think a game like this is pretty much the perfect reason to get rid of somebody. Uh, yeah. I think it's a good cover. I think they will move on from him. I think they will either pick up somebody in free agency or draft somebody because uh, the current solution isn't on their roster. Maybe they try to make Nathan Peterman happen. I really hope they do, because I'm a Pats fan. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. But the, the, the whole thing was just a joke, and with LeSean McCoy not helping, I mean, neither running back was healthy, so they both looked awful. But uh, when McCoy was struggling, it was like, there's, there's nothing here. 
Um, the problem was then that limited Taylor's ability to run because there was no real running threat yeah. of a hobbled McCoy, so Jackson were able to zero on him. It was just a really ugly one. And to be honest with you, as much as we can blame the players, I also think that this was not a... this. The coaching also has to be held responsible. Mm-hmm. It was a dirge of a game plan from this team. So, yeah, I, I don't know if it's blow it all up, but there's certainly a couple of big areas that they need to focus on if they want to be taken seriously moving forward. Yeah, no, of course. They, they felt like this year's Dolphins, like they got tranced in the playoffs and you don't really expect them. It, it doesn't feel like a team that's building to a crescendo. It just feels like a team that got lucky, which they did, to sneak in on the back end. Yeah. But, you know, well done, Buffalo. Like, it, it, you broke the streak. Yeah, so we'll see, we'll see. Uh, Carolina, New Orleans, this was the best game of the week. Uh, New Orleans clearly proving that they are a picture-poison type offense. The ground game, fair dues to Carolina. They game-planned for it. They shut down that running game. So Breeze just decided, oh yeah, Andrew Breeze. Uh, this is great. <laughs> so they do seem to have like a very, very good offense. Carolina's red zone issues cost them in this game. They were settling for three points far too often. They just don't have the weapons. As we mentioned earlier, they just don't seem to have the personnel to be able to get this done I'm looking at this New Orleans team and I'm probably going to pick them to be my adoptive team as the Chiefs are out of the playoffs I really really enjoy it I always enjoy New Orleans when they're good like this but like this is just like fun to watch offense and a pretty good looking defense right like, like no spoiler alerts but like I think New Orleans are definitely the second best team in the NFC playoffs still uh, they just happen to be playing but like the best team but like yeah New Orleans right now we saw, like, all year we've talked about this running game. All year we've talked about, like, Kamara in particular has rejuvenated that offense and completely recalibrated. And then, you remember that Drew Brees, the future Hall of Famer, comes to this game and suddenly Ted Gain, Michael Thomas... Michael Thomas looks like the player he was last season, an absolutely dominant WR1 who can get it done in tight coverage. You think of that, like, uh, to, the, like to the... like. To the grand pass in the fourth quarter where he basically picks it off the ground that's the kind of play that if New Orleans can keep that going they are a legitimate contender against any team in the NFL AFC or NFC uh, I think the one issue I would have with, the, with New Orleans is that over the last month or so statistically the defense has slowed down from the kind of complete rejuvenation we had there and in this game they did let Carolina back in and we don't consider Carolina to be a team that's optimized to come back in games we consider them kind of a slow plotting team but you think the stuff like that screen like sorry that short pass to McCaffrey going for a touchdown there might be reason to worry that the defense has become a little bit more fragile in the kind of linebacker core area in particular yeah. And that that could be the thing that screws them over in closer games where they don't have the advantage that they had in this game of having such a big early lead in the first half. Uh, so brilliant in offense, even better than we imagined based on what we've seen this season. Mm. Defense, maybe there's more question marks than we thought there were. No, of course. Now, there was obviously there was a big call at the end of this game that people are questioning a bit about intentional grounding. Do you think this was... like? One, do you think that really affected the, the, the outcome of the game? Would that have turned on that? And two, do you think it was a legitimate call? Uh, yeah, I do think it was a different call. I think yeah. it was inside the, I'm the same. inside the pocket at the time. Um, it didn't affect the outcome of the game. I don't, it didn't help. Yeah. Um, I don't know, but I, I think the, the failings. Like, I mean, look, you had missed field goals. You had dropped passes in the end zone earlier, like Kalen Clay. With that, like, you know, missed two field goals. I think which would actually make the difference. Yeah. Um, so I, I think putting it on that, it's one of those things that I think Ronan has mentioned before. When something happens at the end of the game. Uh, people look at it as being a like part of a trend or a uh, a factor they choked or whatever. But mm-hmm. these kind of things happen in the middle of games all the time. They yeah. were 
at least three or four I can think of game-changing incidents that happened throughout mm-hmm. the passage of that game that were much more significant than the intentional grounding penalty that just don't bear the same weight because it wasn't in that crunch situation on the final drive. So yes, it was... Well, I don't know if he really had any choice. He was getting sacked. So, I mean, it was, mm. it, there, it, was it was really was no good option to, to pick yeah. there. But um, I, I don't think it was as critical as the Kalen Clay drop, as the missed field goals and so on. I just failed to execute in the red zone, really. Yeah. No, cause, uh, cause the other thing, actually, I've just got to know, because it, it always gets picked up on at the other end of this thing as well. Uh, Cam Newton came out in his press conference afterwards, was very direct about how he thought that he had made mistakes in that game and that it wasn't, that it was on him and he was going to take it and kind of grow as player. Because you, know, you, know, you hear every time that he's, he has a loss and he doesn't like him, he acts like a dick or whatever, or as a child at the thing, you always hear about it. We also might as well just point out he actually dealt with it very well, showed a bit more maturity than we have seen in playoff losses from them beforehand as well. You know, who also dealt with the end of the game. Well, <laughs> Cam, Cam Jordan. Jordan. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Calling out Macalila. Speak about McGee. Uh, it was Cam phenomenal. Jordan, you have earned your roasting uh, and it was very well served as well. So well done, Cam Jordan. I uh, hope you have a very enjoyable rest of the playoffs. Excellent. So Sunday, he sent Cam Newton a bottle of wine, didn't he? <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Very nice. Uh, so with that, we'll move on to a couple of questions from you, the listener. Okay, so first up we have, uh, did Gronk get no targets in the final game just so he could finish with 69 catches? Yes, yes he almost certainly definitely. did. Like, there's a story from when he played high school basketball about how he missed a part of a, a free, free throw, throw yeah. specifically so that they could have 69 points in the game. Of course, he did this on purpose. Um, is Dion Lewis going to be more important than Brady for the Pats in the playoffs? Fitz? Well, if Brady won the Super Bowl MVP despite James White being more important than him, then no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's quite true. Tom Brady is more important and he gets rid of anyone who dares contradicts that, as we find know now. <laughs> mm, that's true. I think, yeah, any, like, he wouldn't want to be if he wants to have a job next year, from what I gather. <laughs> uh, James White ultimately highly de-emphasized this season. Coincidence? Yeah, it is, well, it is interesting. Um, so, if you could make a Pro Bowl skills challenge, which one would you make? Oh, this is interesting. Um, what do you think? What would be fun to see them do? I think actually, I'd like to see um, you. I'd like to see inflatable sumo wrestling where they have like mixed groups. So you have like defensive <laughs> linemen versus punters. That seems interesting. Uh, I think spoon race for I, I, me personally. <laughs> I, I want them to see uh, the play a game of flag football, but with the defense on offense, and the offense on defense. Oh, that could be That'd very be fun. fun. Yeah. Oh, you could have a sack race where you give quarterbacks a head start and they have to do a normal <laughs> sack race, and then you just get chased down by the fattest lineman. <laughs> That'll be excellent. Sorry, I'd watch that. I'd um, watch that. Okay, who has stupider ideas about uh, concussion cures, Wilson or Brady? So this is uh, Secret Shaman versus Magic Bubble Water, isn't it? Yeah, pretty much. Okay, so uh, I suppose Fitz, tell us why Brady's is stupider, and Harry, tell us why Wilson's is stupider. Well, like Brady brought the guy into the staff. Like Brady actually got the guy hired, well, effectively hired as part of the staff, and started a really bad rumor about his entire team so bubble water is okay that light you know I suppose yeah. but here's the thing rebuttal if, alright if, if I'm going to get if I get, if I get concussed no, I, I can't afford 
I can't afford Alex Guerrero. I can't afford Tom Brady's book. It's $200. You know what I can't afford? I can afford fucking magic bubble water. So if I get concussed, we're talking about, you know, the broader impact. Brady only impacted his team. Russell Wilson's negatively impacting all the kids out there who might get concussions okay. and then get magic bubble water instead of doctor treatment. Response. Note, note that Harry is a member of the Green Party and therefore is biased against bottled water. So I don't buy any of what he's saying. Hmm, that is an interesting one. We'll, hey. have, we'll return to that. That's, that's a definite. That's actually what an ad hominem is, actually. <laughs> you called me a rude word. That's an ad hominem. No, that's what an actual ad hominem is if you're listening. Okay. Yes! You're casting aspersions on me because of my background. Okay, which, um, which, which team didn't make the playoffs and is definitely going to go next year? Uh, Jimmy G and the 49ers. Ooh. Mm. They're not going to lose a game. He hasn't lost a game. <laughs> uh, I'm, if, if he stays healthy, I'm going to say the Texans with the Sean Watson. Oh, oh sorry. <laughs> right, let's see. Uh, uh, Oakland, the Oakland Raiders, yeah. John Gruden, all in. Uh, no, actually, going to happen. Uh, <laughs> if Aaron Rodgers is healthy. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we still forgot about that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I don't know as good as Aaron Rodgers is can he overcome IBM salesman Joe Philbin like I don't know let's see and uh, who is the best oh right 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 yes. uh, who's the best bandwagon to jump on uh, I'm going with the Saints because they've got good music and a fun team to watch uh, and they're going to be playing in the best game upcoming this week I believe the hipster's choice is Atlanta right now yeah uh, you know comeback story all of that renaissance from a poor start of the season but uh, that's the hipster's choice right now I'm going to say you think I was going to say one thing I'm not I'm going to say the Jacksonville Jaguars because if you're a bandwagon fan you don't deserve nice things yeah fair <laughs> enough although like it would be so much fun like uh, Jacksonville beat up on Pittsburgh again and they, <laughs> and, and, and they, and they do it specifically like no one picks me off six times okay, maybe nobody <laughs> picks me off seven times <laughs> it would be fantastic and we will move on to the uh, quick look at the games for next week Okay, so first up, we're going to have a look at Atlanta at Philadelphia. I've gone for Atlanta. Fitz has gone for Atlanta. Harry has gone for Philadelphia. Obviously, this is an interesting game. Atlanta coming in, looking hot after the last couple of weeks. Defense looking strong. Philadelphia have an excellent roster. Finished strong. They are the number one seed in the NFC. They are at home. But they also are missing their starting quarterback and had up and down play out of the replacement coming in. So I suppose, like, Harry, you've, you've taken Philly in this. Yeah, Why do you yeah. think they're going to be able to inch it? Um, you know... <laughs> I'm not 100% sure uh, <laughs> why I made this pick. I made this pick last night when I was... Um, anyway. Uh, Lagarde Blunt. Yes, I was indeed. Because was, you were Lagarde Blunt. I, I, I was, I was Lagarde Blunt last night. Um, uh, this is... This is I just... I can't trust this Atlanta team. I, I really can't. I know I've been picking them wrong for a few weeks and I'm going to go to my grave being like, I don't trust the fucking Atlanta Falcons. Even if they win like three Super Bowls in a row, I'll be like, I'll never trust the Atlanta Falcons. I just don't. I just believe they're a fundamentally poorly coached team. But we saw flashes this season, including last week, admittedly, of them looking a bit more than that. But I'm not sure how that's going to translate, because this isn't just... like Look, Nick Foles has looked okay, let's be honest. But this is a team that has, I think, a lot more weaponry than the Rams. It isn't going to be a case, oh, you shut down Philly's run game, that's game over. Like, there's a, Firstly, there's a lot of different kinds of things going on in the run game. They use a lot of different types of players in there, so it's a little more difficult to just zero in on the like Todd Gurley does the screen thing and the up thing let's let's focus on those but also I think when you've got guys like Alshon Jeffrey that's a receiver that's harder to deal with than like your Robert Woods or whatever mm-hmm. you've got like um, Zach Ertz is a much better tight end than anything you have going on down in LA so I think that the linebackers aren't going to be able to focus on the run game as much as they were uh, when they were facing 
a Rams team where it's like if we shut down Gurley, we can just just win this. Philly, I like what they've done on uh, defense. I think Atlanta are going to have a very difficult time running the ball again this week. Um, the front seven remains nasty. It's going to come down to whether or not they can engineer Julio Jones open and whether or not they're willing to do yeah. that. And I'm just not convinced that this Atlanta team isn't going to revert to type. Yeah, because the thing that I've is like, I like the Atlanta offense here. I think they've ran into form. I like their defense a lot more than you like their defense. But I do think I think the deciding factor in this uh, one can they just get average like bang standard play out of the quarterback for Philly? I think that's important. If they can do that, then they stand a chance. But the big thing and the thing that I've always thought on this Philly team this year is important is their pass rush, their front seven, what they can get going there. If they can start to establish that and start pressuring uh, pressuring Atlanta a lot more, forcing throws to be quicker, making them have to try to maybe bring running backs inside for additional protection so they can't spread them out to have them in the pass game, that's something that could affect them. But I just think there's so many weapons on this Atlanta team, they're reminding me a lot more of the team from last year that even though they shot the bed in the Super Bowl, were excellent up to that point. And I can just see them going on a run like that. Honestly, uh, like I know both of you said like Nick Foles is average, but based on what we saw over the three games that he played, he wasn't average. He was bad. Yeah, no, he's not good at all. Like really, really bad. And the simple fact of the matter is that if you have a bad quarterback, you're not going to win. And as I, as I kind of saw as well, there's been uh, a death counterpoint death. Jacksonville Jaguars last week. Counterpoint yeah, that uh, time Peyton Manning <laughs> won a second Super Bowl. <laughs> yeah, they, they beat Buffalo. Let's not like throw a parade or anything. This is in Cleveland, or whatever. So, like, like I think the other problem for the, the, the Eagles is that over the back half of the season, the effectiveness of the run game has also gone down. I wonder if the attrition on the offensive line is finally starting to tell. And if they can't, like, if they can get the run game going, for me that's the key thing. If they can get the run game going, if they can get JHI going, I'll give them a shot. But based on what I've seen over the back half of the season, I don't believe that he can do it against a front that just shut down Todd Gurley. So for me personally, Nick Foles isn't able to carry the team. It's like the throw and interception is like his throw touchdown. And the run game hasn't really lived up to the reputation of the players who perhaps make up that run game. So for me, I think Eagles are, are very much uh, uh, like uh, behind the eight ball here. And even though their defense is good, I think Atlanta's defense is also pretty good. So I don't think there's anywhere where I think... Uh, I don't think the Eagles' defense is like that amazing, overwhelming force that they can shut down Matt Matt, uh, Matt Ryan for the entire game. I think it'll be kind of similar to last week's game, basically, because uh, obviously I don't rate Jared Goff. I don't really rate Nick Foles either. And I think in, in the playoffs, that's what usually makes the difference if on the rest of the parameters, people are fairly similar. Nick yeah. Foles threw four touchdowns in his first game as a start of this season. Just, the just Giants! To... So? They, like all their defensive backs are suspended or dead or whatever like that. Yeah. <laughs> you said he looked bad in all the games. I'm just saying he didn't. Well, you can throw four touchdowns and not look good. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, 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 that is that is technically true. <laughs> <laughs> well, unless you're Jimmy Garoppolo, then you always look good. <laughs> uh, next up, we have. As I said, we'll do uh, we'll do um, what we think our scores are going to be on oh. these ones. So I'm going to say Atlanta twenty. Philly 17 I'll say 28-24 Philly Uh, 21-10 Atlanta Hmm, interesting Uh, Next up we have the Tennessee Titans taking on the New England Patriots Uh, We have New England across the board Do do we need to discuss this? No, we'll do do it properly Um, We come up with reasons that Tennessee will win this game Right Entire New England team is in a bus crash. 
Tennessee were really good at concussing high-end tight ends out of games, and that's an important part of your game plan. <laughs> uh, like, an actual serious point is that their front seven is pretty good. Yeah. Like, like this is the kind of game what where if Tennessee are to stand a chance, they need to keep New England to, like, less than 17 points, probably. Um, probably. New, New England's front seven isn't that good. Perhaps Derrick Henry that we saw in the fourth quarter could re-emerge there. I don't really expect it, but you know, I wouldn't completely dismiss them as they have like they have like a two percent chance. There. Yeah, like the thing pretty is, good for Tennessee. They've got like, they've got a good run game whenever they dedicate to it uh, properly and actually get get some movement out of it. The New England do not have a good run defense. Their defense has ranged in the form, but they're still weak on run defense. They don't have linebackers. So that's something that they could maybe make some hay in, but like, yeah, like there's no way they're winning this game. No. Tough Excellent. Break. Now we have sufficiently jinxed the Patriots. We can move on to the next game. Uh, Jacksonville at Pittsburgh. Dude. I'm going for Jacksonville. Dude. On the Jacksonville. Uh, Fitz is going for Pittsburgh and Harry's going for Pittsburgh. Yeah. Um, this is an interesting game. <laughs> the last time that these two teams met, Jacksonville picked off Big Ben. I can't remember the four or five times. Oh god, beautiful stuff. Um, they won that game, and Blake Bortles, I think, had a hundred and two yards passing. So they have a blueprint for playing like they did on offense last week and beating this team. Yeah, it's not impossible. Jacksonville's defense is good enough that when it really shows up to play, it can definitely pick someone off. And you know, you know, Ben Roethlisberger has not being completely safe with the ball this season and he's not completely safe in general to be honest um, well I mean <laughs> and of course a big factor is you, you have Antonio Brown coming back off an injury is he the Antonio Brown we expect I would generally say yes Antonio Brown is generally come off injuries pretty good uh, and but if he is hurt then that obviously takes a huge dimension out of them and even though Juju Smith-Schuster um, and, uh, and what's the other guy um, yeah Mar- Martavius Bryant have shown something in the last month when they were brought in to cover for him. I still wouldn't expect them to have much of a chance against AJ Boye and Jalen Ramsey, to be honest. So, yeah, I think if, if Antonio Brown plays, it'll be really good to watch that Jalen Ramsey versus Antonio Brown fight. Uh, but I don't think Jacksonville, Jacksonville, have Blake Bortles, basically, that's my only point. And the one thing to forget, don't forget the, don't forget the, we worked out how it worked in the in the regular season. It's a shitty game followed by a good game. Shitty game followed by a good game. This is going to be a good game. Harry? Yeah, look, I think what all of what Ronan says is, is true for the most part. Like, also worth noting that when Jacksonville beat Pittsburgh, only did they have five picks thrown to them. They also had Leonard Fournette, like, in form, as opposed to the empty shell of Leonard Fournette that's been hobbling out really for the last few weeks. Like, this was in week five. This was a while ago. And quite a lot has changed since then. Even if Antonio Brown is only at 50, 60, 70% of what Antonio Brown can be. That's better than anything fucking Buffalo were throwing out there. Let's be brutally honest. Yes, Jacksonville will be tough because of the defense. However, I just don't see Pittsburgh having another game where they turn the ball over five fucking times. Their defense shot Blake Bortles the fuck down. And, like, this is a team that has athletic linebackers and so on, so I don't think we're going to see him tearing them up with his legs the same way he did against Buffalo. Pittsburgh just have an offense. I really don't think this Pittsburgh team is amazing. I think it's prone to wobbles. I think it's prone to meltdowns. It's a very dramatic, emotional team in a lot of ways. But 
Jacksonville's offense has been putrid for a while now. And barring something bizarre happening, like another five-pick game from Roethlisberger, it's very, very difficult to see how Jacksonville actually win this. Okay, fair enough. I think Jacksonville are going to get it done. And I think they're going to get it done in style. And I think they're going to get it at 31-17. to 17. <laughs> Okay, is there any reason for that? Or just you just got this feeling? Ah, it's got a feeling. Like, okay, so let, 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 let's, let's presume that Pittsburgh are about five times the team that Buffalo are. That allows them 15 points plus a little bit of breathing room. So, Connor wins one season's worth of predictions and suddenly he thinks he's Nostradamus or some shit like that. <laughs> Get out of here, Connor. You're bullshitting. It's going to be like 14-3 to Pittsburgh. Not a very fun game, but Pittsburgh will have enough to get it done. Lev Bell is obviously the key uh, against the Jacksonville run defence, which has been iffy. Uh, and I think they'll get it done enough to win this game. Pittsburgh are going to win 21-10 and all of those 21 points are going to be field goals. Ah, the classic. <laughs> yeah, you got Boswell. Yeah, uh, and then finally, we've um, got five Bs now. Have you heard? Oh, so obviously Bell, uh, Brown, and Ben, and they've got Boswell, and they've also got Vince Williams. Have you seen that going around the internet? No. Apparently, Vince Williams is now just being, being referred to by <laughs> Steelers fans online as Vince Williams. Sake. Uh, <laughs> wow. I don't know why I find that so funny. <laughs> I don't know either. <laughs> Uh, next up, the probably the best game of the week, and uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be great. New Orleans and Minnesota. Uh, on my own again, I'm going for New Orleans, Nola, uh, to beat the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, yeah, this should be an interesting game. Minnesota's defense looking very good. Their offense kind of hitting a decent pace towards the back end of the season. New Orleans remembering that there are actually two ways to, to, to move the ball offensively and uh, able to do both of them. A pretty decent defense. It's fallen off a little bit. Um, I think that this multifaceted offense from New Orleans is the kind of thing that will be able to impact Minnesota because the thing about Minnesota is that they have great personnel, they have great schemes and they have the ability to come in and stop what you can do well. I think that New Orleans have become more balanced of anything uh, last week we saw they'll be able to find where those gaps are and exploit wherever they're given a bit of space I think this Minnesota team is an excellent defence I don't think it's an infallible defence I think that we've seen that in games where they've lost beforehand I think this is a setup that could be very interesting and I think we'll see good play or at least good enough play out of the New Orleans uh, defensive backfield that we might be able to That the, in a close game they can stay competitive defensively even if their offence starts to stumble a little bit so I think it'll be a great game I think it'll be a close game but I think New Orleans just about tip it in the end uh, also it'll be fucking great crack uh, yeah what? yeah no I think this is the best game of the week by far and it's not even it's not even close like Atlanta Philly is intriguing but not really and the other AFC ones I expect to be blowouts no matter what you say Connor <laughs> uh, oh I said it'd be a blowout just the other way yeah. <laughs> um no, like for me, Minnesota, I think the one thing about the Minnesota defense is that it's not a team where you're like, oh, this unit makes it or this unit makes it. Throughout that entire defense, at every layer of the defense, you find talent. You find players who could make a difference at each level, you know. And I think that's the difference between this defense and some of the other great defenses that we saw this year or previously. Uh, and for me, like Minnesota towards the back half of the season, and even though they weren't great, even though they weren't great teams, they consistently showed that if they want to shut you down, they will play towards that. They will shut you down, keep it low scoring, and rack up points. And I think that will be the difference here. And I think 
don't underestimate this Minnesota offense. The run game has been strong all season, even though they're running out Murray and McKinnon. The, and obviously Adam Thielen has had a career year. And of course, the hero of Minnesota, their new god king, if they actually manage to win a Super Bowl in Minnesota, Case Keenum, the greatest quarterback of all time, question mark. Uh, but no, Case Keenum has been efficient, effective, and knows where his strengths and weaknesses lie. And I think is that against an opportunistic New Orleans defense I think that's what you need not someone who's going to do something stupid or throw the ball away but keep the ball away from them do what you need and just grind them out of this game I think Minnesota are the best grinder team and I think if you're going to beat New Orleans that's the type of game you need to play and I think Minnesota can get it done in their new dome what's the word for when you're sexually attracted to something but the thing you're sexually attracted to is an NFL defense because that's how I feel about Minnesota right now um, I like. Hey, hey! Have you got the horn for them? Uh, oh! Very good. Um, seriously, like, I, I, I completely agree with what Ron said. I think that analysis is absolutely spot on. This is a defense that really doesn't have a soft spot. And as much as, as as New Orleans have a multifaceted offense, this is a multifaceted defense that we know can do whatever it needs to to keep games competitive. Anyway, certainly. Um, I also have. Some questions about that New Orleans defense, like they seem to get figured out a bit by the Panthers in the second half, and that's not a team that's been an offensive powerhouse this season. So I think that certainly the way Minnesota play, which is efficient, uh, moving the ball, wearing them down, could be, particularly if, if New Orleans can't get stuff going, that defense could get tired out very quickly if the Vikings are able to sustain drives. And that, I think, could be a critical factor in this game. I just I find it hard to pick against Minnesota in general at the moment, mm-hmm. and I agree this is going to be a good game. It's going to be a fun game. I wouldn't say Minnesota are overwhelming favorites, but right now I think they're just a their defense is sufficiently good enough to get them a win against this yeah. against this uh, team. I think this game mightn't be that high scoring, but that will because of the quality of the play on show. It's not going to be like one of those games where they can't score points because they're shit. It's one of those games where even though there might be that many points you'll be doing that but you'll recognise that's because the defence they're playing up to the talent that they have uh, and I think that's why I'm excited for this game uh, obviously I'll, I'll never be disappointed but Case Keenum I believe in you mm. <laughs> the NFC are going to win the Super Bowl this year lads uh, we keep saying that and then New England win it so shut up <laughs> <laughs> yeah. when Jacksonville sign Eli Manning next year then maybe we'll see this is the whole thing they were meant to, whenever he got benched, they were meant to fucking release Eli Manning, let him go play for Jacksonville, and then Jacksonville were going to like complete the, complete, the, complete the circuit, have Jacksonville beat New England in the championship game, and finally he goes on to become a tree lie. Like, it would have been brilliant. Oh, well. Eli Manning plus Tom Coughlin is like Exodia again. So. Yeah, except the time they sucked for several seasons, like... They they were yes, but they also were terrible for the last few years. So yeah, but it doesn't matter because what you have is you have a playoff team in Jacksonville plus Eli Manning plus the um, Tom Coughlin. Tom Coughlin. So perfect. It's just set up. It's just lined up. Yeah. One one final note on this game: just that we that one weakness that I would concede to you, Connor, is that. The offensive line in Minnesota, we've talked about how it's a bit weaker now than it was at the start of the season due to injuries. Obviously, that gives a chance that Cam Jordan could have a good day here. If that does if that does happen, then obviously we'll lean towards this. This isn't going to be a close game, but that's something to keep an eye on. Oh, yeah. if you're, if you're but but also, bear, bear, bear in mind that New Orleans have also lost an offensive lineman here as well, so that could impact on their ability to both run, run, uh, run block and to, to, to keep a uh, breeze clean. And as much as he is a, a superstar 
quarterback and stuff. Like, remember, he is ancient and... Do you remember how badly it was whenever he just kept getting hit all the time and they just couldn't get any rhythm going like a season or so ago like that could happen again because this is an excellent front seven from the yeah. Vikings that could, that could disrupt in summary we don't know what's going to happen and that's why it's a good game yeah it's, <laughs> it's going to be a very good game except we know exactly what's going to happen in the other games uh, Atlanta are going to squeak past Philly and uh, New England are going to lose to Tennessee obviously uh, Jacksonville are going to crush you want to change your pick? no I don't want to change your pick no, <laughs> Best of predictions, we must bow towards. Ah, uh, by two. Um, but no, excellent stuff. So, any other crime yourselves, boys? Any plans for the rest of the week? Yeah, no. I'm taking some time off work to watch the to watch the playoffs, but nothing uh, nothing personally planned. I don't think I'm going to watch Sean Spicer on television because I don't think I want to inflict that upon myself. No, I don't think anyone does. Uh, well, does, anyone, does anyone out there forty actually watch RTE anymore? Um, yeah, they hate watching when they do stupid things like put Sean Spicer on. I, I, I got I got TV for the first time into my house. As in, like I've had a television, but I haven't had actually like any TV channels. And uh, I got it in at the end of last week. So I've now started getting some. Bit, it's I great. Just cancelled mine. So. Yeah, so like, it means I can now like watch University Challenge and stuff, which I like because I'm fucking sad. But uh, it also means that uh, I've got one or two bits to record that I can now watch. I'm really good. Uh, if you're looking for a new show, I really enjoyed Dairy Girls. I watched the first episode of it. So Dairy awesome. Girls. Dairy Girls. It's class. It's set. Not London Dairy Girls. Huh? No, oh, no, no, it's specifically. Cut It makes a lot of jokes about it because it's set in Derry in the 80s and it's uh, it's just about like little girls who go to like secondary school there. It's very good, very, very funny. It's only one episode in so far. Uh, I think it's from the same person who wrote London Irish, which I didn't see, but I saw some clips from. Also, I, I like caught up recently with the young Pope. It's like really, really stupid, but I've heard, really, yeah. really fun. Yeah. Isn't, isn't there like some weird scene where he's just like just wandering around the ground smoking, staring down a kangaroo or something? Jude Law is the Pope. Instructing a kangaroo to jump. Yeah, it's just uh, I I heard I heard stories about it, and I've been I've been tempted to go and look at it. But I just don't. It's it's eight episodes or something. Yeah, it's ten episodes. Ten episodes. Yeah, I'm just like I'm trying to see. Can I swing ten episodes of watching Jude Law playing a smoking wisecracking Pope? I feel Connor, you'll be in need of distractions over the next weekend with uh, to break up your study session. Yeah, I will. I'm, uh, I'm my 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 weekend's being sent flat to that five days straight of doing study and assignment stuff, and then I'm free of econometrics for two and a half months before I'm going back in to do advanced econometrics. I can't I can't watch the Young Pope because I was disappointed at the theme. Do you remember that terrible song by Peter Bjorn and John? Oh, young, all the folks. young folks! Yeah, yeah. I, I just hope that the theme tune is that with young Pope yeah. instead. <laughs> and they haven't, even, they haven't even done it well. They just got some guy who just goes Pope at the start, just Pope, Pope. Yeah, close enough. <laughs> <laughs> Budget's a bit low. This we send it all on Jude Law. Yeah, Jude Law cigarettes. Right, crack. And yourself, uh, fits any crack down in Cork? Uh, I might meet up with Butler since it was his birthday this week. Yeah, uh, I might Ooh. catch that new Bart McDonough flick. Ah, uh, oh, but I see the three billboards outside of Ealing or something. Yeah, what? Like yeah, yeah, it's great. It's about uh, three bill. Is that the name of the film? Yeah, three it's billboards. A black comedy to... about policing and possibly yeah. what, a bit what? of racism, whatever. Yeah, what, what, why don't why have they three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri? Oh, okay, that makes a little more sense. I was in Ealing. I thought you meant like in West London. I was like, what, what the fuck? <laughs> like, what's like a stupid? Ra- okay, that makes a little bit yeah. more. Um, no, it's it's uh, that it's makes a little more sense. He won the <laughs> Golden Globe for screenwriting for it. I think on the weekend just gone. Yeah, fucking Dave Franco won the Golden Globe. It's going to be good fun. But yeah, no, uh, yeah. So that's grand. So as always, fire us in your questions and stuff. We've got lots to be talking about. We. 
Gonna be hyping up for the championship games then, and then uh, yeah, it'll be fun. Run all the way to the Super Bowl. Don't forget uh, the uh, one in between the championship games and the Super oh, Bowl. Oh, we haven't forgotten. We uh, we're just you know we have to get through this Super Bowl stuff. We're building anticipation. Uh, but yeah, it's gonna be great. Uh, have you seen the Have you seen the the uniforms? They look pretty sweet. They they make my eye torch. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, they bleed oh, with indeed. joy. Um, <laughs> But no, it was, uh, it was a good crack. But uh, I suppose, look, that'll do it for today. We'll, uh, we've ran over a little bit of time. So we'll, uh, we will take your questions if you get us on the online stuff, wherever you can find us. Uh, Etsy, which I've, I've now recently been on Etsy and I know what it does. Uh, we're probably not there. Uh, I'm proud there. It's just a little podcast, just for you. Yeah, uh, we will. Yeah, well, I think we're, I think we're on Pinterest now as a, as a, as a pin. Uh, yeah. Did you put us there? No, no. I just presume from what I've seen that everything is on there. Oh, so, uh, so that's fine. The Internet of Things. I don't know what that term means. The Internet of Things <laughs> is where your toaster talks to your fridge and they conspire to kill you. Ah, very it good. sells you Bitcoin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, dude, you got to get into this Bitcoin stuff. Um, oh, yes. Uh, as an update, uh, we have had the cryptocurrency based entirely on my face. Oh, it's, yeah. How's uh, that going? It's going... It's on your body parts. Oh, it's on my body parts. Yes, I say. It, uh, it is uh, increased... 900,000% in value um, but it is also just collapsed so we're going to have to work out are you talking about the currency or dick oh <laughs> oh the chief's lost <laughs> but no uh, yeah the cryptocurrency we will we will be doing a full launch soon we're getting funding from Enterprise Ireland because they'll fucking give anyone money uh, so it's great got an ICO the pro bowl of cryptocurrency yeah the pro bowl of cryptocurrencies <laughs> everyone will watch it and buy it and then suddenly immediately regret turning it on in the first place actually that's sound more and more like my dick doesn't it uh, <laughs> well yeah perfect so uh, send us your questions we will be back next week if you for your dick you just go to Vietnam Mm, it's true bye for myself on that lovely note uh, bye from Harry it was a joke about the name of the currency I realised how it sounded in retrospect yeah. bye <laughs> bye from Ronan it's been awful quarters uh, god this has been a shambles <laughs> we'll catch you on next week <laughs>